0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have the guitarist for Jody Messina, Curtis McDonald. You're going to hear stories from his time studying classical guitar, his time on the road with Chris Jansen, and now playing on the road for country music icon, Jody Messina. I had an awesome time talking to Curtis. I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and we'll see you at the end. Just keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. Try not to be bitter. You gotta do it either way. Keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. So when life throws a jab, you gotta duck out of the way. Ooh. How you doing today, Curtis? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing awesome. So uh, getting right into your story, you grew up uh in where and what was your
1: childhood like um i grew up in south carolina um moved around quite a bit but all basically in the same area of south carolina um started off in a really small town and then eventually moved to myrtle beach um, which is like a super touristy you know a lot of my fellow musicians have played myrtle beach um and started playing guitar when i was 13 um my brother is a musician as well and originally I wanted to play bass but he kind of convinced me to play guitar um because he's a guitarist as well um and uh you know just started playing in church when I was about uh, 14 or 15 playing with a lot of musicians who were way better than me and then started playing in like um bands when I was 16 and eventually um Did like the wedding party event thing. Um, Went to college for classical guitar in South Carolina, uh, a place called Conway, uh, Coastal Carolina University. Um, Got my degree in classical guitar performance. Um, Played for a while in like a a theater in Myrtle Beach. And then um, got a job as the uh, creative director at a church for about, uh, a little over a year, maybe two years, um, and then eventually, I'd always kind of had the idea of, like, moving to Nashville and doing the the Sideman thing, and uh, eventually, uh, just decided it was kind of an now or never sort of situation, so yep. moved to Nashville in uh, 2015, right at the beginning of 2015, been here ever since.
0: Wow, and it's so funny that you said that your brother, who was also a guitarist, actually, steered you away from the bass because I feel like a lot of you hear the story all the time the older brother like forcing the younger brother to play the bass you know yeah
1: yeah well I was lucky in that uh, my brother is like quite a bit older so we weren't kind of in the same circles and he was actually managing a a music store at this at the time and he kind of you know realized that you know it's maybe a little bit easier to go from guitar down down to bass um than the other way around i kind of wish i was a bass player now because i feel like they're a lot um more in demand at least here in nashville than guitar players but i play bass like a guitar player
0: for sure now uh who were some of the first artists or albums you remember listening to and resonating with as a kid that made you feel a connection to want to want to play music sure
1: um let me think um well, my family is really musical, so that was really an influence. Um, my mom was a worship leader at a church, um, and my dad was like the in like the first rock band in his town. He played guitar, and they all sang and everything. So the family was definitely an influence. Yeah. And then so there was always like music going on in the house. And I remember seeing the two things that really stick out are um, back to the future. The end where Marty's like, you know, playing, you know, the three forty-five and um, Johnny be good. That I mean, that just strikes me as like a scene where, like, okay, this music thing is cool, right? And the second thing um, was Aerosmith did a Super Bowl performance in like I think two thousand one, and so I would have been like twelve at the time, and I remember seeing it be like, oh, these guys are so cool, mm-hmm. and so uh, be- right before I started playing guitar. I think one of the first records I bought was um, Aerosmith, yeah, and then um, the other one was Goo Goo Dolls. I was a really big uh, Goo, Goo, Doll- Goo Goo Dolls fan, so those were kind of the two records that got me into sort of music, guitar specifically. And then um, my dad went on a business trip to uh, Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and he met a guy in a coffee shop and he he was talking to him and he told him that I just started playing guitar. And the guy said, Oh, he's got to check out this guitar player named Eric Johnson. Mm-hmm. And so my dad went out and bought an Eric Johnson CD and that was Venus Isle and brought it home for me. And that would just like blew my guitar playing mind. And that was like kind of the first like guitar music that I got into. And then eventually uh, probably when I was around 15, um I discovered Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and then that oh, yeah. was it I mean he's he's my favorite artist of all time his picture hangs in my bedroom um so yeah Tom Petty is definitely number one for me
0: wow now you said around 15 16 you started playing in bands in the local circuit uh what do you uh remember about those early days kind of playing uh
1: in your first band yeah um I remember being the 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 uh, the worst member of the band. That's definitely something I remember. And something I still actually try to make happen if I can, cause I feel like if you're the worst person in the band, you're always uh, have a chance to learn. Yeah, surrounded by, surrounded by good people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, man, my first show, I, with that particular group, I was um, they had just passed an ordinance that um, that you uh, outlaw smoking in bars but there was one bar that was on like the line and it was called still smoking. And my first gig with them was at still smoking. And it was just like every smoker in Myrtle beach was there. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing I remember from that gig is, um, being like, completely covered in the small smoke, but, period, uh, you know, guitar probably still smells like smoke. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I just, you know, honestly, that was some of the best, uh, musical times in my life. Um, you know, I was, I was friends with everyone in the band. Um, they, a lot, most of them were older than me. So I, I got to learn a lot about not just music, but like how to, um, you know, how to act like in a group, how to perform. Um, the front man was insanely energetic and had a uh, very high standard. So that kind of was a really a good foundation for, you know, working with singers here in Nashville and yeah. It was just a really good experience. Um, I'm still friends with a lot of them. I actually, I went down. They their guitarist um couldn't make a gig this past May. And so they flew me down and I played with them for the first time in like three or four years. That's sick. and uh yeah, so it, it was a really great experience. I have nothing but good things to say and all good experiences. We still like tell the same stories that the singer to like I still tell that to my friends just because he was such a good storyteller. And it was just a really good time in my life for sure. Now, how did playing in
0: church help, like hone your craft in the early days playing guitar?
1: Yeah, again, like um, there was this guitar player um, named Fulton who was um, sort of like the the main guitar player. And then um, he sort of like took me under his wing and, and, you know, really without being like very overbearing about it, um, I'd say most of what I learned from him was just like being next to him and like seeing how he approached things um he was a really he didn't, wasn't even a teacher it's just something I kind of osmosis from him mm-hmm. uh, I picked up a lot of really cool things from him and then um the drummer was a percussionist and actually the professor of percussion at the school I ended up going to and so and then the bass player had been playing for like 25 years around the local surrogate super talented he was really into like Prague, so like all these different influences sort of kind of I don't know made their way to me they would all like recommend albums and stuff for me to check out and that, that was a little bit different from musically speaking it was a little bit different from the like uh party band scene because it's you know the the song structures aren't set you know things are a little more free-flowing so that taught me just how to how to be more open and uh follow um follow a singer if they're gonna go off somewhere else it taught me to be flexible which Mm -hmm. later came in really handy in Nashville because I've had some artists I've played for who are like that Um, (laughs) yeah so that again was also a really good experience
0: now uh you decided to move to nashville and you said like you wanted to move to nashville to be a sideman was that always your idea you never had the idea of wanting to be like the front man the tom petty of the band
1: Mm, no no um i feel like sidemen get kind of the best um of both worlds because um we get to be rock stars for you know 90 minutes Mm -hmm. and then when the show's over no one knows who we are you know um, <laughs> actually, this sleep past- on the bus, no press all day, exactly. Exactly. No one bothers us at dinner, <laughs> you know. Looking like obviously, you know, there's a lot of potential, um, like money if you're a successful artist, but with that comes, you know, lack of privacy, people always wanting things from you, and the juice never seemed worth the squeeze for me. I, I, um, I always like the idea of just being that rock star for a few minutes and then, you know, being left to my own devices later for sure
0: now what was that decision like to move to Nashville and pack pack packing it all up from South Carolina
1: well I I just I'd been married for um about a year actually we came here to Nashville for our year anniversary and we were just thinking about like you know if if I didn't at least try I felt like I would have always regretted it um, and I didn't want to look back you know 20 years from now um, and 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 live a life of regrets. so um, I was very open with my wife when we even just start, first started dating. I was like, hey I, I want to do music as a career um, so if that's not something you're prepared for, better to know now. So she's actually always been really supportive and so she kind of felt the same way we both liked Myrtle Beach but you know we didn't love it yeah so we um we wanted to try something new and um yeah it was it was hard you know we didn't neither of us knew anyone when we got here um my wife um basically was supporting us financially when we moved here because I was not Mm. making any money I, I didn't have a have like a real job and you know thank God, like I never have had to get like a real job since I moved here. I've always done music since living in Nashville. In fact, I've only had a non-music job briefly in college and um, the church was music. So yeah, I, I've been blessed to basically have always made my living from music, but it was really hard the first um, really the first year and a half. Yeah. And, you know, as if any of your listeners our professional musicians they know it's a lot of times it's feast or famine you know all right uh, they're still like obviously you know 2020 and part of 2021 uh was definitely on the more famine side of things but luckily things are starting to pick back up
0: hey i hope you guys are enjoying this episode and i'd like to take a pause to thank this week's midbreak sponsor snail lax their name says it all slow down your fast-paced life to a snail-like pace as touring musicians, it is crucial that you keep your body loose and relaxed on the road. And that's why Snail offers an array of health and personal care products that are designed to target specific areas of your body, ranging from your head, neck, shoulder, back, and lumbar down to your feet. I personally use one of their massage guns, and I have to tell you, it really does rejuvenate you. They are currently running a fall sale, so use code AS30 for 30% off your next order. Check them out for yourself at snailaxe.com. That's Snailax.com, and enjoy the rest of the episode now you just referenced college. Uh, how do you feel like, uh, studying classical guitar like helped you when you first got into like playing like for some national artists?
1: Yeah. I think the, the biggest thing that classical studying classical did for me was it, it gave me a sense of discipline. Um, because like, for example, my senior recital, I played a, a sonata that was, it was about 20 minutes long, mm-hmm. completely memorized. um, and that was just part of my senior recital. And you you can't just learn a 20 minute long piece of music without having a disciplined mindset towards, um, towards learning it. So, you know, I don't use any classical guitar techniques really. Maybe I'm, I use hybrid picking, but you know, that's not quite the same. Yeah. Um, I don't use any like guitar playing techniques. I don't ever read music for, um any Nashville gigs. So it's all more theoretical. Like I, I I learn discipline. Um I learn how to sort of um again with learning that really long piece of music, I figured out ways to like get something into my memory kind of quickly. Um so, so it was stuff like that that really that I use the most and mainly the discipline. Now when you go to school for classical guitar do they
0: ever like Teach against like oh they have this national number system like don't use that like use like the traditional way or is, do they well, talk about that?
1: um so part of um, a classical guitar degree is um, learning to analyze music. Um, so you'll take a, a piece, um, the, everywhere from Baroque, Romantic, modern music all the way up to like music composed today, and you'll look at it and you'll analyze it. And part of doing that is what's called Um, roman numeral analysis and you basically break down the chords that are being uh, either played or implied at any given moment Mm -hmm. and you assign that a roman numeral according to the key that you're in which if you know anything about Nashville number system is basically the Nashville number system Um, it doesn't have quite you know there are no diamonds and it doesn't have quite the lingo but it's basically the same so while they didn't teach me the Nashville number system um, I definitely had enough (sighs) Um, knowledge to use it and um, the bass player in the wedding band I was in he used it to chart all the songs and he would typically write charts for the band um, and so I kind of just learned it anyway
0: for sure now take me through uh the first time you meet Chris Jansen uh do you find out on the spot he needs a guitarist do you hear that he's having auditions what was that process mm. so I um
1: I've, well let's see um when I first moved to Nashville um a friend of mine gave me the number of a drummer friend of his and we met and had coffee and he's like all right here's a list of all the people like you should meet or know or you know here's just a good idea of like people you should sort of get to know
0: mm-hmm.
1: and one of those guys was a guy named Justin Ostrander who, oh yeah yeah um Justin's great super nice guy phenomenal guitar player um and so we met for coffee sort of you know did what we're doing told him sort of my story and it was really good time but he told me straight up he's like I'm not I'm not gonna recommend you for a gig man it's like I don't know you like I've never heard you play it's like which I totally understand it's like I'm just meeting to like get an idea of what you did and you know So a couple months later, he messaged me and asked for my number. And I guess he was in a bind and he was, uh, he needed a guitar player for an artist that for CMA fest. Mm -hmm. And so he ended up recommending for the, for the gig. And it was possibly the worst gig I've ever done. It was, Uh, you know, nobody in the band was prepared I broke a string on the second song, which never happens. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, what made it bad was just the band did not give the music um, the care that it it deserved. Except I did. Um, I learned the songs, I had them down. And at the end of the gig, the artist was very appreciative of me and very disappointed in the rest of the band. Mm -hmm. And So she basically gave Justin, told him that I, you know, did a good job and, you know, was, she was glad that he had recommended me. And then maybe um, a couple months later, I get a call from uh, a guy named, uh, oh man, I forget his name. Uh, But I get a call from uh, David Lee Murphy's manager, saying that uh justin had recommended me for a gig i was like Mm -hmm. he wanted me to fill in for a couple dates i think in canada and so i had those on the books and then two weeks later um i'm trying to think who called me originally i think it was chris himself just called me out of nowhere um Mm -hmm. on a sunday i was like hey this is chris jansen i um justin ostrander recommended you um i need a guitar player wednesday their, their guitar player is like having some health problems or something. Mm. And he's like, yeah, uh, we're playing I Heart radio. It's like 20,000 people. Um, can you play on Wednesday? And so I was like, uh, sure. Yeah. My sister was in town um and my brother-in-law and it was like I said, it was a Sunday. And so I was like, sorry guys, I gotta just lock myself in the practice room for the next three days yeah and I did and so that the show went well um and then he was like hey we're playing the Opry on Tuesday and the Ryman on Wednesday do you want to you know go on the road with us we're going on the road with Sam Hunt um in like June and we need you know we'd want to keep you on so that's what happened I had to call um David Lee Murphy's manager and be like hey man sorry I just had like a bunch of dates come up with Jansen and you know they knew each other so it wasn't like a big deal and everyone was it was all good but I owe my whole career basically to Justin Ostrander so I'm very thankful
0: it's really funny you bring up Justin Ostrander too because I mean he he doing all the session work for Chris I mean how did you feel having to replicate those, those crazy Ostrander licks and tone on the road
1: yeah. You know, I feel like that's something I kind of, you know, I am not the best guitar player on the planet. There are, there's a fetus on Broadway who can play better than me. Um, <laughs> but you know, I come prepared and I'm on time and I try to, to nail the sounds and, and, and get it feeling right, you know? So definitely I have learned a lot of his parts, a lot of Justin's parts and they're always really cool. Um, he did make me buy a pedal cause <laughs> there's uh one part in uh the title track off of chris's record um it's called everybody and he's got this very specific yeah yeah he's got this very specific like whammy part um but i knew he did it with a electro harmonics pitchfork because it's like a really quick down and up Mm -hmm. so i had to buy that pedal just to play that one song but you know that's part of the fun of of doing that so Justin's parts are really great and uh you know it's always fun to learn his stuff
0: now i actually saw you play live back in my hometown south end indiana on jake owen's life what's you make it tour and oh cool yeah and a few weeks after that i remember i had a songwriting session with benji harris who was playing guitar for jordan davis at the time and i still remember having a conversation i was like who was that playing for chris jansen he was just tearing it up and literally it was during that session that i followed you on instagram and uh oh cool uh, what do, what do you remember from that uh life what you make it tour with jake owen
1: oh man that that tour was a lot of fun because <clears throat> um we were you know it was all base, baseball fields we were playing yeah. so the cool thing a lot of times you know when you're on a tour and you're doing like an amphitheater it, it's a lot of times it can just be like out in the middle of nowhere or not close to a lot of stuff. But for some reason, the, the baseball fields are always like, you know, at least the ones we did on that tour, were always like kind of in the middle of a city or something. Right. So like I could always like just go walk around and explore. I do sound check. And then like until dinner, I just like walk around, grab coffee, at a cool coffee shop, walk around, see if there are any music stores or anything. Um, that definitely was the best part of that tour. Um, and I mean, obviously getting to see Jake was really cool and he, he was awesome and his band is, uh, really good, but, uh, yeah, just being able to get out. Cause a lot of it touring can feel like groundhog day. You know, you wake up, you go find bre- breakfast, you go to the dressing room, hang out for a little bit, sound check, go back to the dressing room till dinner, dinner, play the show, lather, rinse, repeat, you know, it's all the same thing. Um, yeah. So being able to get out and explore whenever you can is is kind of breaks up the monotony of it.
0: For sure. Now, I mean, what was the decision like to step away from the Chris gig? I mean, you guys are playing huge shows. I mean, what
1: was that decision like? Um, it was hard. Um, you know, I we were probably gone. I'd say two hundred days a year, mm-hmm. um, which is a lot, you know. And I, you know, I eventually just it wasn't worth my while so I you know I talked it over with my wife and you know eventually we decided part ways and man I still talk to a lot of the, the guys in that camp and no hard feelings or anything it's just it's time for a change you know for sure there's certain art like I there's a drummer named Kenny Aronoff who I've always looked up to Because of the way that he, you know, like one day he'd be playing with Elton John and the next day he'd be playing with like Alice Cooper. And like he just has this breadth of artists that he plays for. And I've always looked up to him for that and always have wanted to sort of do that. And, you know, I'd been with Chris for two, a little over two years, two and a half years. And, you know, it's just, I just didn't want to do that forever. And I wanted to play with more artists. And I think that uh, when you're gone 200 days out of of the year, you don't really have an opportunity to do that. And so now I get the opportunity to play with a little more wide variety of artists and do do a lot more things, because even if I'm on the road quite a bit, I'm not on the road as much. And so people, you know, know I'm actually in town and ask me for stuff when you're gone 200 days out of the year. Even if you wanted to play with other people, everyone thinks you're gone. so they don't even ask you know it's kind of a catch-22 so what's it like
0: now playing for a country music legend like Jodi Messina
1: yeah it's honestly it's amazing she's um she's one of the best artists I've ever played for she is phenomenal vocally she treats her band and crew really well um it's just a a really good experience she knows her music too like I, I feel bad for our drummer Elton he uh if there's like not a fill she wants to hear a specific fill you know if or an intro if it's not exactly right she will be like hey it actually goes like this and uh. so that's very cool to have an artist who's that sort of locked in to what they want to hear uh, and she's just a phenomenal singer her songs are really cool um everyone in the band except for the bass player and drummer sings um, we don't use tracks. I mean, it's all very old school and the like, style and the, harmonies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and like I said, the songs are just—I mean, it's so cool to play. Not that there's anything wrong with, you know, country music now, but it's very harmonically pretty simple. Um, her song, there's like random chords that come out of nowhere and key changes. You know, several of the songs are in like two different keys, and it, yeah. it's it's very. As a musician, it's, it's a lot of fun to play. Have you got to see like
0: some like younger fans like now like even getting even more into the set like with Coles Wendell's Heads Carolina coming out?
1: Yeah, I mean, we just did a show this past weekend and there was like young, you know, her demographic definitely skews on the female side, but there's like young women singing like every word to almost every song even ones that are kind of deep cuts and so it is really cool there's definitely I think in general there's a resurgence of kind of 90s country music right Um, people are starting to like sort of key into that a little bit and uh, I think we're definitely seeing that with the crowds like definitely a younger demographic than than you'd expect for sure for sure you know it's funny, man. I've been thinking through this interview. If you ever want to
0: step away from guitar, I think you could be a CJ Solar impersonator. Oh, dude,
1: that's so funny. We um we did some um some shows where uh, CJ opened for us, and he actually when I was with Jansen, um, mm-hmm. and he actually rode the bus with us a couple times. And he's he's a really nice guy. Um, fun fact: the C in CJ stands for Curtis. Oh no way! Yeah. So, and at that time, our drummer. His name was kurt so uh on the bus we had two curtises and a kurt gosh that had to be confusing yeah. well i was curtis cj was cj and kurt was kurt so oh I think okay was, we managed
0: yeah now i like to close my interviews by asking all my guests a piece of advice you've learned along your journey to someone that wants to be wants to be a professional musician
1: mm, okay um i mean there's a lot of advice um Try to be the worst member of every band you're in. Be on time. Um, be prepared. Um, I think those are the biggest things I could I can say. Being prepared is probably the single best piece of advice I can give anyone. Um, whatever that takes, you know, if it if it takes locking yourself in a room for a day to learn the music, um, you know, I try to do my best to uh not use any charts if if i don't have to um on like a you know a pro level gig so my first you know i started with jody by subbing for a friend um and i didn't use any charts i had the music for three weeks or so so i had plenty of time to learn it but um i I wanted it so ingrained that uh, i didn't need charts And, you know, charts, uh, can be a double-edged sword because you can think you have it memorized, but you actually don't. Mm -hmm. So, um, but all that's to say preparation is key. Um, like I said, I'm not the best guitar player on the planet, but I will come to your gig prepared, even if, um, you know, even if it's like a 20 minute set at, you know, some random bar downtown, um. I feel like it's, it shows that you respect the music. It shows that you respect the person that's paying you. Um, so that's my single piece of advice is be prepared.
0: Well, guys, there you have it. My conversation with Curtis McDonald. Curtis, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had an awesome time talking with you. Everyone go follow him on Instagram at Curtis McDonald Guitar. I want to give a big thank you to TBD Coffee Co. for being the official coffee of starting small music. Check them out for yourself at tbdcoffeeco.com. And make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with Chandler Walters, the steel guitarist for Ernest. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also, follow Starting Small Music on Instagram, at Starting Small Music, and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.